0: Hello and welcome to the first podcast of Swim Bike Talk. I'm Kurt Wesley, and I'm here today with Guy Crawford. <laughs> so uh, Guy Crawford he is a uh, professional triathlete, 43 years old from Auckland in New Easy. Zealand. Easy, <laughs> <laughs> almost 44. Old man. Oh, yeah. you can see the hairs starting to go a little bit grey, awesome. but uh, it's going very grey. That <laughs> <laughs> um. So here today to chat to Guy just about well a variety of things uh, where he's come from, his career, what he likes to do in his spare time uh well anything really i've got a bunch of questions on this bit of paper here um done a little bit of planning but let's see how we go today so well first of all first of all um give us a little blurb about yourself
1: well thank you very much for having me kurt um i'm looking forward to your first run at this uh should be wildly entertaining. <laughs> yeah,
0: I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> Hopefully, it's not a massive flop. <laughs>
1: we'll see. If we're the only two people that listen to it, then.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll. Uh, I will share this once it comes out, in a couple of photos on the Instagram page. I've already got. Give that a follow if you've just come past this and uh, you found the podcast another way at Swim Bike Talk. Um, yeah. So, well, guy, you've been in the sport for <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> What, when do you reckon uh, you first started getting into triathlon?
1: Well, I can answer that precisely, actually. So I was in high school um, in my second to last year, so I was like sixteen, seventeen, and I had a had a girlfriend at the time, uh, Helen. Uh, I hope Kate doesn't listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. It's a very long time ago. Helen was a swimmer, and um, one of her friends was a triathlete. Uh, his name was actually Nathan Richmond. He ended up going to the Olympics for triathlon for New Zealand, so he was, uh, swam at the same squad as her, and basically I thought he was pretty cool, and, and, and so I started swimming because she swam, and then I met him, and I was like, oh, I'm going to give triathlon a go, and I was 17, really, when I got into it, and it was like school sports triathlon, so wow. what is that? Twenty. 20- Six years ago? So, what's that?
0: 1996, Six. and I was born in 97, so really, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a long time. <laughs> that's a long time. But, wow. Well, that's pretty impressive in that you're still here doing it and uh, crushing yourself every day. <laughs> you love it. That is what I like to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, So, what, you started off in uh, 96 year, just got into the sport, um, just racing locally around New Zealand and Auckland, or? Yeah, it was all... All local stuff. I didn't really. Uh, we're pretty lucky in New
1: Zealand. I, I feel like it had a unique because it is a small com- country. It has a unique sort of triathlon uh, um, opportunities where we you race. If you choose to race in like the open category, you're racing like guys that are like the best in the world, or and, and also people that are just beginning the sport. So uh, yeah, I just raced
0: locally for those first first uh, you know first decade or so. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> So, well, that's pretty cool that you got to get straight into the deep end. I've heard other people say before something they really like about triathlon is you get to race up against all the professional athletes straight away. So, wherever you Mm -hmm. race, as long as there's a pro field, you can race against people like that. So, that is a good way to get into the sport. And when did you decide to take it from kind of just racing around? What did you kind of just progress into racing faster people, getting faster, going to high level races or... Uh, Where would you kind of go from just starting those open races? Well, well I'm going to take you on a little journey. <laughs> the life of Guy. It's
1: really interesting. should be done in about 15 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This no, going to be a short uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, so it didn't really happen like that for me in terms of like oh, I raced to a certain level and then realized that, oh, I'm a half decent, I can go professional, and more worked out so in New Zealand you race against these these top guys, so in my era when I was young it was like Hamish Carter Nathan Richmond, who I mentioned Bevan Doherty, and it was really lucky that you actually got to race them it was um, the contact series in New Zealand and I raced them, it was, some of them were draft legal format um, and some of them weren't but I had that opportunity to race them, but I never really thought from there, oh I'll start triathlon as a professional career well,
0: and what, what from, did you want to do uh, oh, at that point
1: i think i was a bit lost and lost in the what i wanted to do i knew i liked sport um i knew i was decent at it but i didn't think it was a career path i was more oh, i'll do sports i'll do sports science at uni or sport and rec is what i went to aut for um and then I'll just see what happens. I don't think I really had a plan of where I would go or what I would do. Probably like a lot of people actually. Yeah. Uh, and so from there I did, I did that style of racing for a while in New Zealand and then got a job actually with Blue 70. And so I worked for a good five years while still doing triathlon and then sort of came back to the sport in like 2008 9, um, whilst still dabbling in it. And then from there, 2008 nine, I found a long course, and I was like, "Oh, this this is where I belong." And 2009, I raced the Rotorua Half Ironman um, off sort of a bit of training, and, and won that. And then, and then I thought, "Wow, okay, this is this is good." Winnings winnings way better than coming 16. <laughs> yeah, of course.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I should just keep doing that. It feels great right to be at the front, doesn't <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah. it? Turns out it doesn't really work that way, but yeah. yeah. So,
1: um, and then 2000. Yeah, what was that, 2009, I went to pro long course. Well, so. oh, great.
0: That's a well, pretty cool story. And like, yeah, um, coming from that start, well, where you were to getting into working with Blue 70 and coming into that. And well, your job with Blue 70, actually, that's brought you a few places, hasn't it? You've lived a fair bit around the world, haven't you? Oh, yeah. So it was, a, it was actually a really cool job because
1: um, Blue 70, I was actually the sponsorship manager. Started off with swimming, so, I went to um, the Beijing Olympics and I got to be on like pool deck with like Michael Phelps. Uh, and so, so it was really cool. We we're just, the job was basically to give people free stuff. So, everyone liked you yeah. until you ended up like you're giving out like a thousand suits. You're like, oh man, this is too many. And I was <laughs> just like, lost my job. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was probably a bit young when I first started that, but uh, nothing like deep end learning curve. So, I got to go to Beijing Olympics and Uh, London Olympics for Blue 70 um, and be on like pool deck and and then London I was more triathlon involved. But that's what sort of my job was, basically marketing and uh, events and athlete sponsorships. So I did that and to answer your question, they sent me to the UK in 2008. So this is prior to going long course and professional and so I worked there and I ran the sales in the UK from 2007 through 2009-ish era. And then back to New Zealand. Um, and then, then, yeah, started my long, long course career after that. Cause I was, cause I was sponsoring a lot of these guys and girls. I had a good grasp of what it would take time-wise to actually race at their level. And so I was doing a bit of training and I realized,
0: okay, it's, it's not
1: that far off. I could probably have a crack at it. Uh, so I had a good insight and being able to sort of give people free product and yeah. and look at what their trainings like and train with them when I was overseas. And um, because I did live in the UK there for a couple of years, but also spent some time in the US during that period of my life running um, the events for Iron Man. Sorry, I'm going to take a little segue. No, here. that's all right. So yeah, from that 2000 really. 2005 period through the 2009 period, I spent a lot of that time overseas doing that sponsorship stuff for Blue 70. A couple of those years were based in the UK, and then a couple of those, or or sort of one year of that time, was based in the US, and yeah, just giving out product,
0: got to go to a couple of Olympics, and understand what it takes to be a professional athlete. Well, that's a pretty cool start to, uh, well, while you're starting your professional athlete career, (laughs) and getting to see what everyone else does, and really, well. That's a great way to kind of do the sport and be involved in it all in the same time and make a living out of it, which I know can be quite tough for quite a few professional triathletes. Nice, (laughs) it's the best. (laughs) Um, But yeah, well, that's um, well. Speaking of your wetsuits and your equipment that you use, and what 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 do you think uh, massive changes would be since you've been doing the sport for a while? I know, not just limited to wetsuits, but Look at your bikes, for example. You see photos of look. I look at photos of my mum riding a bike, and she's got a massive triangle handlebar with her hands out the front. Is that the sort of stuff that you were racing when you started? uh, Maybe not in the two thousands, (laughs) but in the nineties or uh...
1: yeah, yeah. I remember my first bike. I had this uh, Avanti. It was actually Helen's old bike, and I, I was my first bike. I was super embarrassed about because it didn't have clip in shoes. So what I used to do was. I'd put my running shoes on. I'd put black socks over the, top of, <laughs> <laughs> over the top of my running shoes so that it looked like I had clip-in shoes because I figured, oh, if it's a solid color, people are going to think I've got clip-in yeah. shoes. So that's changed for me. But, yeah, obviously I had clip-in technology back then. But I, um, I remember doing that quite vividly. And I was like, oh, man, I rode 30 minutes around the block. And I'm a beast. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Were you doing that in races or like, no, no, just, putting just, on your socks over your shoes in transition? <laughs> like People are going, what's this guy doing?
1: <laughs> I was just training. And that bike actually had those um, grip shifters. So it had the triangle, Oh that yeah. like your mum's talking about. I'm probably similar age to your mum than I am you. But yeah, and it had grip shifts. So the left shifter was the big chain ring and the right shifter was the uh, cassette at the back. Wow. So that's what that's... My, that was my first triathlon bike. And then I went to a... Um, a a Vitus which is like a high-end steel bike I think a steel and carbon mix I was really uh, really loved that bike anyway I'm digressing so the changes what <laughs> was well, a question with wetsuits uh, well
0: wetsuits bikes, yeah. shoes whatever I know there's uh, been some massive changes especially in you look at your running shoes in the last few years but yeah. well, what did you used to use back in back in the day it's so back much back when I was busy being <laughs> in kindergarten <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Well, the my first race shoe was an ASICS, and you know, back in the day, that is just the, the thinnest profile shoe you could get. Yeah. Um, and and then over time, like, it actually got crazier, so it was thin then, with so as much flexibility, and then uh, I remember getting that, uh, I was sponsored by K-Swiss during 2010, and the K-Roos came out, and the K-Roos were like just, again, this tiny little bit of fabric, uh, sorry, bit of foam on the bottom of a shoe. And I thought that was crazy until I saw um Rayler Andreas Rayler run up to Macker and Kona wearing that shoe because I used to do five and ten Ks in it and I'd be ruined. My calves and soleus muscles would be broken for weeks. Oh yeah. And then Andreas Rayler wore it in Kona and had like the fastest run split. Ran up to Macker and that's when they had that epic battle at the late stages of Man. Macker ended up winning that, but he was
0: wearing that shoe. And I just thought,
1: how how do you run forty two Ks? <laughs> yeah.
0: It's, he must have been trashed, but like if I run a five or a ten k in spikes on the track, I'm like sore as afterwards, and like takes ages to recover from that. Like imagine doing a marathon at the end of an Ironman—that's insane. He probably weighed forty kilos, so it probably yeah. helped him out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does help. Yeah,
1: it's, it's super lean. But um, in terms of wetsuit technology, I think the biggest changes is the inside jersey's got a lot more lycra, and, and so the flexibility and and range of movement in the wetsuits have come along a long long way uh from when we first started but the biggest the biggest game changes are obviously in in biking and running as yeah. we know so when we first started when I first started biking there was nothing integrated no disc brakes yeah. uh the setups and the tech changes so like setups we didn't have it as much um you know data involved so we didn't know what was a good really good setup and and so that that's changed power we didn't have power on yeah. the bikes we Let's just go off the old feel yep heart rate and
0: uh and monitors back then
1: yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> we had that at least and uh so yeah a, a bit more data orientated when we swam we didn't have form goggles so that's a big
0: a yeah big increase in um Oh yeah, not data. just in your racing; it's all in your training as yeah. well. Like you can use them in the pool and see exactly what you're doing. Yep, yeah. tubulars, harder is better. i will pump those suckers up to 150. Let's yeah. roll. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine doing that. Oh, yeah, but um, uh, no, that, saying that I don't really race long course, I don't have uh, any tubs on my bike. But yeah, no, no. it's it's everything. The steel, the steel bikes through to the the,
1: um, the carbon fiber bikes now and. Uh,
0: yeah, well, uh, everything yeah. integrated. Your electric gears and even wireless now for uh, some of the SRAM. Mm. A lot of the SRAM now is wireless. Um, it's pretty insane.
1: Now we come into the modern era of running shoes, where my previous race shoe was, as we just said, the lightest piece of foam you could find, and now we're we're stacking them up as high as we can get to that new old yeah. Gustav War and Kona. But I think that's I think they've put a ban on those shoes now. Have they? Yeah, I think they put regulations, they've just put, Ironman's put regulation in wow. on stack height, so it's more in it's line following with... following the world
0: athletics yeah. uh, rules that they've got, yeah, one yeah. carbon plate and all that stuff. Can't yeah. stack 15 carbon plates inside your shoe and try and that. Yeah, well, regulated that a bit uh, a bit more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyway, even for me, as you said, like the smaller shoes with nothing underneath them, I used to start, when I started racing, I was using them and... It's just changed to, well, all these companies are coming out with these shoes. that are just insanely quick and you recover so much better after the race as well. Like obviously you're hurting, you're going to have to recover somehow, but like your carbs, that's a big thing. I remember after racing, carbs were always smashed and now you can recover so much quicker. You can back up races a lot easier and I wouldn't say Mm. a lot easier, but definitely get into the next cycle of uh, training and whatever you're doing next.
1: I think a, a, I'm, just, I'm made of porcelain, so I like have had multiple injuries, which maybe we'll get to, maybe we won't, but that's a that's probably a whole podcast in itself. But uh, yeah, so these the shoes have actually just helped me stay injury-free as well, which has been pretty nice.
0: Yeah. No, that's exactly right as well. Like, as you said, you've had a fair share of injuries, and I think you said your last one was just down to having uh, one sort of shoe to the other or something, and that completely fixed it.
1: Yeah, then, I basically, yeah, took out an inner soul and seemed to fix it. Huh. A little more in-depth than that, but...
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, won't go too much in-depth to that now. And um, no, So you moved here to Perth in two thousand
1: twelve. I, I should have written this down. <laughs> it was 2011, beginning of 2011. I was pretty close. Yeah, you were, you were close. I actually came over because I met Kate Bevilacqua for those of you that don't know her.
0: And yeah, now i married too mm-hmm. as well, so... Yes,
1: we're married, but we met in Kona in 2010, uh, and then I was living on the Gold Coast and I hadn't done an Ironman at that point, and and uh, I said, to go, oh, I'm thinking of coming over to do Ironman Western Australia, just because I wanted to come over and see her. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so then she's like, oh, are you cool? Yeah, come stay with me. And I was like, yeah, cool. I was like, oh, no, I have to do it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What, the lengths you'd go to? (laughs) Yeah.
1: yeah. Hindsight, I probably should have just said, hey, can I come over and see you? But uh, I felt like I needed an excuse at the time. I don't know why. Um, Anyway, so having not ever run over 25K, I dropped myself into an iron. Oh, no. (laughs) Took the next month to learn to walk again and...
0: Far the rest out. is history. Moved over to
1: <laughs> moved over to Perth. To live with
0: Kate. And uh, up till COVID, you've been spending. And sorry, on the topic, of Kate might have to mm-hmm. get her in for one of these. Uh, <laughs> depending on how this goes, please give us good reviews and lots of views, <laughs> lots of listens, and then we'll uh, bring some more out. She'll be uh, much much better than I. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so you. Living in Perth, then you spent six months of the year in Boise in the US, didn't you? Uh, Up until COVID became a thing? Yep. So, uh,
1: Kate was actually the one that originally went to the US. So, she, I think in 2008, she went to the US and uh, lived in Boulder. And then 2009 uh, or or 10, if you get her on, you'll get these dates correct. But anyway, she moved to uh, Boise, Idaho. And then in 2011, I obviously moved here, and then we went over there. And so we'd split our season, six months in the US, six months in Australia or Australia and Asia. And, yeah, so we went up there and, and based our based our lives out of there, had an apartment full of so much stuff. And then during the COVID era, we uh, had to move out of that apartment, and now we now we have a storage container in Life. there. And it's got everything. We, we could literally have a house we've got like tvs bikes sofas it's actually quite a nightmare when i think about it, it? it
0: keeps <laughs> hey, me up at night how hey, you're gonna get all that back here and <laughs> then... <laughs> i haven't figured that out yet um, i remember in the middle of 2020 i think uh, they put your rent up or something you said right that's it can't do it anymore and because uh, you hmm. were here in perth and i remember you being on the phone for ages trying to sort out a storage unit and yeah, get someone right. to unpack it all for you It's uh nightmare
1: that it was the packing up of the house we had to get a a few of our friends around to pack it up but boise has been a wonderful training location for us we've always it's got a little bit of altitude so we've always come out of there really fit and whilst we went up there maybe not so much for races we'd come out the back of that block really fit and go and race in um, asia or whatever on our sort of journey home it worked really well in that regard also got us
0: out of the winter here and
1: yeah, it's always nice. I remember
0: you saying you didn't have a winter for how many years? Oh, eight, nine years? Yes, yeah,
1: probably from 2005
0: to 2019. <laughs> it's a bit longer than eight <laughs> or nine. Yeah. That's, uh, well... Yeah, it's a long time. <laughs> anyway, it's worked out well for you, so... Um, and you being in the US, what, what's this cat that I uh, see walking <laughs> around here as well? We're in Guy's, Guy and Kate's house doing the interview, and there's this black cat called Ozzy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I should have thought of a more original name for it. What's the story behind that? Well, uh, we don't have kids. She's our baby. Uh, So, Ozzy... in 2012 we were dragging our bikes in It was like the 1am we ended up getting to Boise so, so this is
0: after you've just left Perth After yeah. 70.3 buso or something Straight on the plane and head over there You've got
1: it pretty much exactly We always race 70.3 buso And then we pack up and we ship out to the US And so We get the taxi to from the airport Because it's pretty late And we're propping the door open to our apartment With a bike case And just this mangy old little cat rolls in <laughs> And uh, so I'm like, being a an animal activist, I guess, I, am, I was like, uh, well, if you're going to stay in, cat, then we're going to have to close the door and you're in for the night. And she stayed the night and then I let her out in the morning. She came back and the rest is really history. Like three months later, we're like figuring out how to ship her back to <laughs> the, uh, Australia. She cost way more than us. I think it was... Oh, it's eight. hard to
0: get animals in here, isn't it? You got to quarantine them and do all these tests and everything i know it's i'm glad i don't have an animal i'm trying to bring back in here (laughs) but yeah well you are an animal yourself (laughs) Uh, anyway
1: $7,000 later uh we had a cat back here how does uh, how does uh podcast get from triathlon to me
0: shipping a cat back (laughs) thought i'd try and and find out a few backstories behind you as well i think that's a photo is that a photo of your cat there yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah I'll, I'll pop a photo up of Guy and maybe Guy and Kate and their cat on the Instagram if I if I oh it's your wallpaper as well <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll mm. uh, if I get agreement from both of you I'll pop that on and uh, everyone all three people that listen to this can uh, you have a green light buddy you look at your cat yeah. <laughs> um, alright I might ask you now about um what, what do you see as your career ups and downs like uh well, that's pretty mm. self-explanatory, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I can answer that one. Um, uh,
1: so, so obviously the ups are always related around results, but, you know, probably for me it would be how long I've managed to um, race. And, and not not just that, like my enjoyment level has stayed pretty consistent through the, well, let's say, 15 or so years. Um yeah, I've, I've been pretty lucky in that regard. So a lot of um a lot of elite athletes, I, I figure uh, uh they're they're really focused on the result of the of a race or races and and if they don't achieve a certain amount, then they might feel like they're a little bit of a, a failure. But I haven't really ever felt like that. Uh, yes, I've had some decent results with um I've won a seventy point three and a third in a uh, Ironman or a challenge full distance actually. So, I've, I reflect on those as my ups, but really, uh, I would say that a lot of my career has been, I don't like to use this phrase, but I'm going to use it, uh, making up the numbers, because a lot of athletes will say, I'm not here to make up the numbers. I'm like, well, I, I spent like 15 years making, <laughs> spent 15 years, uh, making up the numbers. <laughs> Well, and and I reflect on that in a positive light, not not necessarily a negative a negative way. So
0: and like saying that, you have had some good results. I will sidetrack a bit here. I forgot to say these at the start. You have won seventy point three in Taiwan in twenty fifteen. You've got four more podiums, um, third at Challenge Taiwan, uh, full distance in mm-hmm. twenty seventeen. Countless top five, you, you can't count them, but lots of top <laughs> lots of top fives. You were showing me your uh, spreadsheet before yeah. and. You said uh, one of your best results would have been 18th at 70.3 world champs in 2016. Yeah, Is it still in Vegas? Then Do they have mm-hmm. it in Vegas.
1: Was that they? They did have it in Vegas. I raced that a couple of times, but no, this one was in uh, like Sunshine Coast. So it was, oh yeah, it was,
0: yeah, uh, Malulaba really. That's
1: right. Yeah. So oh. that was a, that was um, that was a good day. So again. Making up the numbers, but uh, for, for me that was a, a really successful race, and I was I was proud of what I did there, and and that's been the pretty much the theme of the career. Now the downside of Let's that. Let's make you cry. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the downside of that is get the tissues. No, <laughs> um, it's just all the injuries. So I haven't I found that I haven't been a particularly durable athlete and I've always like had my run let me down and on multiple occasions and I've seen a lot of people and we've worked on a lot of different stuff and it's just just maybe a little bit of combination biomechanics and uh, and what have you but I just can't seem to do enough run load like I can do swimming and biking that result in me running really well off the bike I can run okay but it's always just been okay so that's I'd say that it'd be the down, just the injuries and the lack of consistency with the running. Knowing that there is more, but your body just can't snap. Yeah, so, pretty much. Yeah, so, no, that's tough. I yeah. feel like I've never really got to the point where I can could truly test how well I could run because I've just not been quite durable enough to handle the load.
0: Yeah. No, that is tough. And like, especially knowing in your head there might be more. But saying that, look, you have done some pretty cool things and... Some cool results, so and you cool. haven't cried yet <laughs> talking about <laughs> it. So, <laughs> nah, I mean,
1: I'm, I'm <laughs> still, I still feel like I'm lucky that I've been in the, in the game as long as I have been, and I just have to manage my body a bit better with uh, with age as well. So,
0: yeah, that well, moving on from uh, the dark side of <laughs> this podcast, um, you're, you're also coaching, so you got a coaching business <clears throat> with your wife Kate called GK Endurance, got guy Kate Endurance, or at one point you were very happy and told me it's Guy Kurt endurance. Durham.
1: <laughs> <laughs> night, that was number one.
0: <laughs> I remember being on a beach where uh, it was my first half Ironman I did during COVID. And um, there was like a little fun relay the next day. I called it a fun man. And you had to do it in teams of three. So I had myself, you and... Do we have Jimmy Martin or was it someone else? Yeah,
1: uh, I kind of remember... I remember if they listen to this they're going to be really disappointed
0: no, I'm in us, really too. sorry whoever that was but we uh, ended up doing uh, butterfly for the swim and everything I think you fed me a mouthful of sand on the start line <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you drew a GK and a love heart on the ground and I thought oh that's nice that you've done that for you and Kate and you said no it's actually Guy and Kurt <laughs> <laughs> you've got good memory I i <laughs> Actually, I got another good memory. Uh, I'll sidetrack onto this, it was the LA try this year, uh, Herbalife Twenty Four LA oh, Triathlon, yeah. <clears throat> where um, we both headed over to LA. It was the first time I'd been overseas since uh, COVID. Really, after the strict rules we had in Australia, I think it was your first time too. You went to New Zealand yeah. last year briefly, but um, we we're doing this race, and this is actually a real shows your experience you've got. So everyone else kind of did their swim warm up. Uh, started in Venice Beach and. A 1500 metre swim out there, did the swim warm up and uh, got ready and checked the entrance, like the swim start. We pretty much had like a 50 metre sprint from this beach and it was like a downhill sprint yeah, as was well. Yeah,
1: rough that one.
0: And uh, checked out the start and I thought, alright, I can get a couple of duck dives and get going here. So, Guy had obviously done a little bit more scouting out beforehand because sprint down the hill, thought I had a good start, I'm swimming out, breathe to the right and I feel like I'm 50 meters out into the ocean, I've been swimming for a while, and I see guy like Jesus running across <laughs> <Yeah>. the water. <laughs> and obviously, for about <laughs> 50 to 100 meters out to the right, it was just so much shallower. And, uh, yeah, best start out of everyone. I think he was first to the first can, and then, uh, Jamie
1: Riddle swam very <laughs> <through me like laughs> yeah. deep. Uh,
0: he got absolutely pumped, um, <laughs> from going running so hard after you <laughs> really had a bit of trouble, uh, getting your running underway as well. <clears throat> And then uh, it wasn't all over, but it was definitely a lot harder for you. I came past and I remember I breathed the right, and you breathed to the left and we looked at each other and I went, oh, no, he's, uh, he's done well. I couldn't but see at that stage. So you were looking at me. I was still swimming in like the gas. Tank, so. <laughs> Just blood through your eyes.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, a, that was a good start, actually. I, I sacrificed, it wasn't the straightest line, but I knew if I ran up the beach, like, 20 30 meters and i turned left there was there was a sandbar there that i'd scouted out while doing the swim warm-up and i was like i'm gonna risk this and i i I swear a few of the other guys looked there but they weren't confident enough to roll the dice
0: and go off off the track but i i thought well we've got nothing to lose (laughs) (laughs) exactly right and it gave you a good head start out there and if anyone wants to watch it there's the uh Live stream from the event on YouTube somewhere. You can scroll back and see everyone swimming and guys sprinting in the water. Yeah, just Uh, watch the first 90 seconds of the race and you can uh, press stop on that one. (laughs) But um, yeah, no, good, good I hope I haven't uh, ruined your competition for the future. Everyone's sprinting out (laughs) into the ocean now. Um, But what else have we got down here? So, sorry, back to your coaching. uh, Yeah, GK. we really didn't talk about that much. We only no. just said you got it. Well, tell me about your coaching business. How'd that come around? When did you well, start doing that? Yeah, a little stem from well, GK Endurance, his guy Kate Endurance. Yes,
1: but uh well, going gotcha. to be? It should have been Kate Guy Endurance, but we thought KG Endurance sounded a bit funny, funny rather than GK Endurance. So, um,
0: it does roll off the tongue nicely.
1: Uh, yeah, so that's just from coaching, man. I wanted to share. Simply started with just a couple of people in 2011, obviously we were uh, pro triathletes at the time and it was really, our focus was swimming, biking and running and traveling the world and we thought, oh, we'll just share our information with a couple of athletes. I didn't actually think it was going to be what it is today, I, I just, we just wanted to share our thoughts with a couple of athletes and it was just people that asked us that we trained with and. Then a few more people came on board, and a few more people came on board, and then we thought, like probably 2015, 2016. Oh shoot, this is a this is like a legit business. I feel like a proper adult now, and um, yeah. And then the last like three or four years, especially during COVID, we've really expanded, and we're still try not to bite off more than we can chew, which is sometimes difficult managing athletes and also being in a sport that requires a little bit of selfishness because uh, you know you're doing triathlon is pretty
0: pretty time consuming yeah, <laughs> time consuming
1: and demands a lot of you so uh, we'll i'd say we're balancing that act at the moment but uh yeah we 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 give a lot to our athletes and it's a, a thoroughly enjoyable what i would call job now and i'm I don't think I'll ever be done with racing, so I'll I'll stop racing as a professional in the coming years and then I'll go to age group. So I'll always be involved in in triathlon myself, but I'm looking forward to maybe giving a little little more, taking a little more time for the coaching in in a couple of years' time.
0: And it's always nice to see your athletes getting their results and uh, achieving their goals as well, so I'm assuming that's probably quite a highlight to that as well. Well, as much time as it takes up doing your coaching i think you'd appreciate what 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 you get back from it and seeing them yeah i think kate's got five athletes going to kind this year
1: qualified in uh i'm nwa so wow yeah that's awesome yeah that's incredible what wasn't um i mean the plan is always to go as good as you can go and that's that's a result of just being fit so yeah exciting times for for us and them you've got two or three more coaches that you employ as well is it Yes, we have uh, Brad and Janine, who uh, live north of the river here in Perth, and they run also... So for
0: those of you not in Perth or not familiar with the city, it's a fairly... Divide run out. <laughs> yeah. It's a fairly long way between places.
1: Uh, yeah, and we divide like north and south, so the river runs in the city, and then north of the river and south of the river. We're south of the river, but north of the river is uh, Brad and Janine, and they have a junior development squad... So they run sessions throughout the week, and then we they also have individual athletes. Most of our athletes are online based, so we'll give them a, a week worth of workouts that are around their lifestyle. So if they're fly in, fly out, we have a lot of them shift workers. That's sort of our specialty. Um, that's not to say we don't have other people, but that's um, w- w- what we started doing is a unique wheelhouse of um, programming related around their lifestyles and. Some people have got very unique work
0: schedules. Oh, there's <laughs> such a variety here, isn't there? The fly and fly out, especially Perth, is so big on fly and fly out because we've got so many mines up in the north of the state, and uh, well, people will be out for one week, back for a week, or even two weeks up, two weeks back, week five days up, two days back. Like it's just hard to kind of fit everything in. We love the dirt here. <laughs> yeah. Dirt and spent, sand. expensive dirt. <laughs>
1: And then sorry yeah and then we have two other coaches uh, Mel and Ruth who also have athletes so that is six coaches six currently. coaches
0: wow uh, I, I would call that fairly successful yeah yeah it's been it's been a good ride thus far yeah. what do you, what do you prefer would you prefer to be uh, a coach or an athlete <laughs> oh, t- the- tough question man
1: uh, I'm I'm split well, you like, did write it yourself
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did I oh, I did too I said coach or athlete yeah I said <laughs> I don't know what I meant, but, um, yeah, that is, that is tough. I'd say, yeah. I'd say I don't want to answer. Yeah, yeah, that, that is a
0: tough one. It's like, uh, well, yeah, it is. Yeah, and, no, fair know, enough. As, if
1: I didn't age, I'd say athlete.
0: But yeah. But
1: as I'm, because I'm aging, yeah, coach, but definitely the two of them would coincide with each other. I couldn't give, I couldn't do one without the other.
0: Yeah. Well, what, and, uh, well, speaking of, Coaching, I'll kind of sidetrack into the next question. Guys, written out a few questions for me to ask him as well. Oh yeah, um, that's how we do it. <laughs> so uh, get
1: in there, man. Ask <laughs> the questions. They're <laughs> all written down for you, man. Spit it out of your mouth. <laughs> Come on, oh yeah, bro.
0: He loves doing this. Um, so uh, another one is the best advice you've received or given. Well,
1: I sh- you should- when I write these questions out, I should probably pre-think what i'm gonna
0: answer (laughs) you've written these for me to ask someone else but now you've got to answer them
1: Yeah, i just thought it would be a good question to answer Uh, ask uh, Uh, and
0: i I do appreciate you helping me out on the first one giving me a few ideas here you're welcome yeah Uh,
1: (laughs) the best advice so uh, it's pretty simple stuff for me the best advice is like keep it simple and you can only go as fast as you can go, meaning that you can only control your controllables. You can only do the work you've done. You can't uh, think about how fast this person's going, and particularly in a race, like you can't respond to that if you're already on your limit. So that'd be the advice: like you can only go as fast as you can go. Control your controllables. Consistency
0: breeds success. Well, that's exactly right. Consistency, that's uh, very true. And so what was the other part the, to that? The Did other you? one, uh, well, best advice you've received or given. that's ah. all. Right. We can uh, move on to the next one, which is, what do your training weeks look like? I know what they look like, but... Should we rattle? I'll rattle this one off quickly.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so I would say Monday, we'll just start with the swims. So Monday is uh, strength endurance swimming. Wednesday is our threshold swimming session. And that can be up to about five or six kilometers. And then Friday would be uh, speed work, sometimes a little bit of everything session, depending on what we've got coming up. And then uh, either Saturday or Sunday, depending on the week, recovery
0: swim, up to 3K. Um, That's really nice, because you live about 200 meters from the pool as well. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, look, no, you really do. I, I do swim with Guy, and he rolls down there with this uh, mug, the sepo mug. It's um, not in here anymore, yeah. which... He dropped on the floor last week and broke the handle off, but he loves it so much he uh, he still uses it without the handle. Yeah, a little bit of it's going see-through, so I'm pretty sure that's uh, terminal. <laughs> oh, no. But Anyway, back to your training week.
1: Yeah, uh, so biking would be Monday recovery. Tuesday is, again, a strength endurance day, so big gear reps varying time, usually half the amount of rest, and that's... Let's say that's two hours in uh, the easy run. Wednesday is... Sorry, I was just doing biking, wasn't I? I was yeah, through the <laughs> that's all right. Oh, we'll go through, we'll go, through go, go through the rest yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, and then Wednesday is a key run in the morning. For me, that's a threshold-y type run. Um, whatever that is, like five to ten by three minutes. I quite like three-minute intervals with short rest, one-minute rest. And then recovery ride... And obviously I mentioned the swim in the morning. Thursday is a a key bike session for me. It's quite a bit longer. uh, And there'll be some threshold type intervals in that as well. Or race specific to whatever I am aiming to do. So short to long intervals. Usually usually I would say they're fours to eights. And we do that in a group environment. Which makes it pretty fun. Followed up with uh, some easy aerobic miles afterwards. And typically an easy run off the bike uh, or an afternoon run, depending on how thrashed my poor little legs are. (laughs) (laughs) How close to injury you are. (laughs) Yeah, how close to a typical stress fracture I am. Um, And then Friday is, uh, again, sometimes a key run or a fartlek run or hill reps, depending on the time of the year and what I'm getting into. And as we said, the swim, sometimes an easier recovery bike. And then Saturday is long endurance ride and the classic, uh, the classic weekend, really long endurance ride on the Saturday with a run off the bike sometimes and then a long run on the Sunday and the recovery swim. It's a pretty good week. Easy as that, yeah. I think a lot of people probably follow the same mold. Um, yeah. It just it, seems
0: to work. It works well, doesn't it? It's <clears throat> very well spaced out. Well, and uh, Well, it's worked well for you for quite a while. Yeah, so twenty six
1: years? Yeah. <laughs> I'd say yeah. it's changed slightly over the years. Yeah. But yeah.
0: As you've learnt more and as you've had to nurse that body. Uh, yeah. At um well It's made me start nervously start touching my shin. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, right, moving into the last thing I've got for this podcast. Now this I've I was gonna call it the five fast questions, but I've <clears> called it five for all because I want to ask everyone that I interview which is just you at the moment. <laughs> um, I've had other people agree to doing it, but we haven't got that far yet. Um, five questions that I ask everyone and just see how everyone answers the questions, um, whether they're similar or different. Um, I don't know. First one, I think it's pretty fun. It's, what's the earliest you've blown up in a race? <laughs> uh, is this or the early? earliest you've blown up while you've gone... So it could be my deep lactic acid, or it could be your bomb nutrition. Yeah, your okay. like you could be hundred meters into the swim and go, "That's it, done. No more today." But well, not like that. But you know, you have blown up. You've given it everything, but you just haven't been able to come back.
1: Yeah, I thought, well, I think there's days when you start start a race and you're like, "Oh wow, I'm not on today." But I'm going to exclude them because there's been many of those. Yeah. So, you know, when you just start swimming, you're like, "Oh, this is going to be a rough day," but it's not really blowing up. The one that really comes to mind is actually an Ironman I did in Taiwan, I think. I know, Taiwan's <laughs> been good and bad to me over the I, years.
0: I laugh because I know <laughs> the photo that... Um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I might well, post this one as well. Oh, you can post that one, yeah, <laughs> it's awful.
1: Um, so, yeah, Ironman, uh, Taiwan. I think Dylan McNeese was leading the race, and I remember having a chat with him after the race because I actually DNF'd this, so... It's a really good day for me. Uh, I'd mixed my bottles the week before because I planned on doing, an oh no, it must have been a few few weeks before with Infinite Nutrition, and I'd mixed these two bottles with perfect concentration for my Ironman, the race specific to me. I put them on my bike, and I ended up not racing for some reason. So I took them to Taiwan with me, but I didn't really understand that they were going to ferment and bad <laughs> stuff is going to happen to these bottles over the. Did you have or you kept the... No, I kept the fluid in there. <laughs> oh, no. So I kept... And I think I'd, like, put... I think in one of them, off memory, I'd put, like, gels, like, six gels or something in them. Like, it was all bad ideas. Like, on reflection, I realized where I went wrong. <laughs> anyway, so I'm... We've done the swim, and I think it went pretty well. And I'm out on the bike, and I remember being at about, I don't know, 80 kilometers. So relatively deep, but not still 100k to ride. And not being able to like function. I was so bad blowing up, like I was getting pins and needles in my hands and all sorts of weird stuff was happening. And I'm like, I can't even see. Oh, like my vision's getting all blurry. And I well, was a really bad um, fat burner at the time, like it was a high energy burner. It's because I'd been drinking these bottles which hadn't, that would fermented or or, or something <laughs> bad on happened. The <laughs> I was not uh, absorbing any calories, and I was basically just bonking. Was, uh, I was—I got off the bike, and I could barely walk to
0: the medical tent. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so was, I would say to answer your question in a very long-winded way uh, that it was—I'm in Taiwan, and it was about 80 kilometers into the bike.
0: And by the end of the bike, I was in a very bad way. <laughs> oh no! Well, look, that's not too bad. It could have been a lot earlier than that. So. Yeah, but it's still a long way to go. Well, they had a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. Well, that's uh, my favourite answer in this series of Five for All so far, even though it's the first one. <laughs> favourite yeah. uh, I actually, I did ask Kate the other day. Oh, we'll wait till uh, we interview her before I go into that. I-, I thought it was pretty funny as well. Funny to look back on. Probably not funny at the time. Nothing, <laughs> um, nothing's funny when you're living it. <laughs> oh, dear. On reflection, yeah. You can have a little chuckle. <laughs> now, this second one... Uh, you might have answered it already in that first question. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite race spot?
1: Favorite race like local, spot? It can be
0: a country. It can be a specific race.
1: You know, I've, I do enjoy our home race here for a multiple of different reasons. But if we exclude Bustleton from it because of the, the environment, I think a lot of those things are influenced um, because I have such a good time down there with uh, so many people I know. But I really enjoy uh, actually racing in the U.S., so the US has, like, got a lot of, a, a lot of really cool things that go on in US races. So I would say one of my favorite race locations is Quarter Lane in Northern Idaho, uh, because of the atmosphere, the lake and the settings. Very beautiful place. Uh, my results have been mixed there, but if you have a chance to go there just as a tourist, it is a really amazing location and, uh, I've had some special moments there. Like, the, the streets are just packed. And the so, the uh, atmosphere is huge when you run out of transition. I was It's like you're racing a world champs. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's, it was amazing. So, I'm going to put that one down. Go race uh, either Ironman or 70.3 quarter lane. You won't regret it.
0: It's pretty incredible. Sounds cool. I've been in that situation, I think, twice where, like, I don't know, if it's the exact same situation, but where the streets are packed and the roar is deafening. Mm. Like, it's... Just incredible, like, it makes you feel pretty cool. I'm sure... I don't know if you get used to it after <laughs> having it a lot, but I've had it... I had it in Dunkirk earlier this year. I, it was running through a tunnel, so the echo was definitely a bit louder, but yeah. Probably a little Mate. easier
1: with ITU. It's still yeah. With Coeur d'Alene, you still have that lonely dark spot when you're 21 kilometers out of town.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that's no, but it's still great. Pretty cool. Like, I will sidetrack a bit from my 5 for All here. I've just remembered another story. I was on... Uh, Facebook, there's a group called Pathetic Triathletes Group. It's mainly based in the US. Easy. But, uh, that, <laughs> yeah. That's what they call themselves. It's yeah. uh, They've got an Oreo addiction that's pretty cool. But um, someone put a post in there once saying, who's your favorite professional triathlete? And I was just scrolling through, and uh, there were quite a few results. And then I came across Guy Crawford and Kate Evalaqua and oh, they, did Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> it was pretty cool. I don't know who, uh, who wrote it, but I wrote, I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> they they said it was one of the races you did in the US. You'll you'll remember the race when I tell you. I've talked to you about it before. When they said um, you helped out, maybe setting it up or something, but you were standing there. You started the race in your clothes, and you had to go and get changed into your oh, white suit yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, uh,
1: yeah that's Rolf Prima try at the Grove, was in, it? Oh. Uh, in Oregon, yeah,
0: yeah. So yeah, they they said that it was pretty cool. How you had to start behind everyone, and then get ready for the race and start and try and catch everyone by the end or something. Yeah, that's right.
1: It was a really good crew of people and Rolf Prima Wheels put it on and the Best in the West Triathlon put that that and a series of other events on. So, yeah, we raced that one in Oregon. It was
0: a really cool race as well. I thought that would be a cool sidetrack. <laughs> I, I didn't know how long this podcast would go for and we're a fair bit in, but I thought that was a cool fact to add
1: yeah thanks for that you've
0: done your research just an average memory (laughs) (laughs) good at some things bad at others Um, alright last three of these are five raw questions what is your worst travel experience that you can recall
1: Um, can be flying can be driving can be whatever it's definitely a few bad ones with you know travelling with bikes is always and around (laughs) the world and going to races there's always going to be something that pops up that's quite miserable yeah Um, (laughs) lost by a damaged uh, bike, damaged yeah. bike. So, um, I w- was going to say um, a race in China. So, Kate and I did a race in Shujing, China and then we missed all of our flight connections and it was very bad but I've just reflected on another one that is even worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going back to Taiwan, people. Yes, we're going back to Taiwan. <laughs> and whilst China was quite miserable, this is, this is even better. So, we raced the Ironman uh, Taiwan on a little island of, uh, come on guy, remember the name. Anyway, I can't, can't remember off the top of my head. There's a little island off the um, Taiwan mainland. And so we get in our flights from there back to Seattle so we could meet with Blue 70 before we went to Kona. That's the big picture. We raced to Taiwan and I got like horribly sick the next day. I ate like, I don't know, it was squid or something. Anyway, I woke up with this like really, really bad fever, and I was sweating, and I had this migraine, and I couldn't stand up straight, because every time I stood up, my head felt like it was pounding, so I had to be bent in half, like a 90 degree angle, and we had to fly all of that way. So, no. Yeah, but uh, we, I think we missed a flight. We ended up in Taipei overnight, and I, we were in the airport, and then... I had to get Kate to get me into a lounge to lie down and I'm just sweating oh. profusely. And then we fly overnight. I my fever breaks like when we land in Seattle. And so that to me was my most miserable flight. It wasn't the missing of all of the flights in China, but just the just having a fever and a migraine. And I've only ever had one migraine, so I was dry retching a lot. I was oh, like bah. Bah. So that was definitely my
0: most miserable uh, travel experience. So that's pretty up there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, all right, we'll move on to number four, food-related again. Not squid, hopefully. No, It's your not uh, squid anymore. It's <laughs> your favorite pre-race meal? I hope it wasn't squid before that. Uh,
1: my favorite pre-race meal. So it's been pretty consistent over the years. If we're, um, overseas, and we'll eat a pizza. Or uh, we used to always have chicken
0: pesto pasta
1: as our pre-race meal.
0: Yeah, pretty simple. I think that's uh, pretty similar to a lot of people, but, you know, you hear some people with a few different ones. So hopefully in the future, might get a few different answers. We'll see. And uh, last one, what's one thing you can't travel without? Don't say a block of cheese like uh, <laughs> you mentioned in the, <laughs> the lead-up to recording this. But it's the one thing I can't travel
1: without. <laughs> A one kilo block of <laughs> Uh So I can't travel without My earplugs Not headphones but earplugs So I've oh, gone into the habit of The ones
0: you squish up to yeah. make everything quiet mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So just being on a plane Being around like a lot of noise Or if I'm travelling in a unique location If I put them in Because I use them at home Kate doesn't snore by the way So just putting that out there if I put them in, it's like my brain reaches, okay, it's time to go to sleep. So I always can't travel without my earplugs. And if I do travel without them, I find myself in a little spot of bother for settling into patterns, like sleep patterns or blocking out noise, obviously, on planes where yeah. people are
0: chewing loudly. I'm like, scoffing, baby's crying. Yeah. <laughs> so there you have it. If you want to ruin guys' race, steal his <laughs> earplugs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think that's all for today. So just like to say thanks very much, Guy, for taking the time out of your day to do this with me and having me at your place to record this. I really appreciate it, and I've learned a lot about you, and I think a lot of the people who listen, if that's more than three, um, (laughs) will have learned a lot about you as well and hopefully can be inspired.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It was uh, enjoyable uh, being in your company as always, Kurt. Thanks, Guy.
0: Thank you. And thanks also to everyone for listening. If you want to subscribe so you don't miss an episode you can subscribe to us on spotify apple google or wherever you get your podcasts from and follow us on facebook and instagram at swim bike talk so you can see all our latest updates and some of the photos from recording this thanks very much and stay tuned for the next one